session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. Good evening. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Talakwe, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. On Instagram Live for the show, so not taking any calls, but you can call me on the Wednesday show. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Let's get into the books of the week. The book for this week is... 10% Happier by Dan Harris. 10% Happier, How I Tamed the Voice in My Head, Reduced Stress Without Losing My Edge, and Found Self-Help That Actually Works, A True Story by Dan Harris. Uh, I had seen this book for a long time, but recently kind of got a nudge by a friend to check it out, so I decided to get it and looking forward to reading it this week and sharing it with you on next Monday's show, 10% Happier by Dan Harris. The book of the week from this last week that I'll talk about today is Why Vegan? Eating Ethically by Peter Singer. Why Vegan? And so uh, listeners to the show might have heard a few months ago I was contemplating being vegan back in uh, June, July, and then finally decided to do that near the end of July. So it's been about three months. And actually, I ordered this book back in July. It just came out recently. Um, I think it came out last week. And so I ordered it back then when I saw Peter Singer, who's written a lot on uh, animal rights. He had a book called Animal Liberation back in the 70s that was very influential. So I wanted to check out this book since I'm kind of on my own journey of, of uh, veganism and trying to understand it better. And so this book... Although I thought it was going to be a lot of new material, I didn't really know much other than there was a new book by Peter Singer. It was mostly old essays he had written on the topic. So in that way, I was a little bit disappointed in the book. I was expecting a lot of new things, uh, but most of it was old. There was an interesting uh, end kind of piece, which was uh, about COVID-19. And so I'll, I'll touch on that. So, you know, a lot of people wrote me messages and had comments on the book. The topic of veganism can bring up, um, and even when I say veganism, it makes it sound like a religion, being vegan, uh, can bring up a lot of feelings for lots of people about what's good, what's bad, is being vegan extreme, is it healthy, uh, is it good for the environment, does it make a difference, all, all sorts of things like that. So I got messages from people and even comments um, from individuals. So, so personally, I can say that for me, what really pushed me in this direction was the way we treat animals when it comes to, to eating meat, especially in the United States, which is incredibly inhumane uh, and also bad for the environment. So really, those were the two main drivers for me, are the, the treatment of animals and even do we need to kill animals to eat anymore? And if we don't need to, should we be doing it? There, there's a time when we needed it, and possibly in some places you might still need it to survive. But from what I've researched, you can survive without it. B12 is a vitamin that we um, 
need to have that we don't get. Usually we get it from red meat and some other things. Uh, so I've been having a supplement of B12 every day. But it really did make me think if we don't need to be killing animals. And in the United States, you had one number in here that we raise and kill 10 billion animals a year for the meat industry. Uh, it, it does make me really think, is that something I want to be supporting and to be a part of? And uh, that was really a big push for me was the, um, uh, you know, the way that we treat the animals even before killing them, which is inhumane, and then also the impact it has on the environment, both of which I think make it seem that if we don't need to do it, then why should we? And there was a quote in, in a documentary I saw, I think Earthlings had this quote from Leo Tolstoy, who's the famous Russian writer. Um, and this quote really touched me or really made me think, as long as there are slaughterhouses, there will always be battlefields. As long as there are slaughterhouses, there will always be battlefields. And I thought that was a really powerful quote that I think does reflect the way we treat animals, where we just think of them as something to kill, and it doesn't matter what we do, and really the way, uh, you know, the meat industry, it's like any other industry. The whole uh, issue is to reduce your costs, maximize your profit, and even if the, the product is animals, a living thing, it's still essentially treated like any other business. How do we make it the most efficient with really very little regard for the well-being of the animals? So, for example, um, you know, even you might think, well, I just drink milk. That doesn't kill them. Well, the way they raise milk, first of all, the cows are not treated well. Secondly, they're like humans. Unless you have just had a baby, you won't produce milk. So they make them pregnant every year steal their baby away from them as soon as the baby is born. Uh, even sometimes the mom is still crying for the baby for days afterwards so that it's constantly producing milk. So every year they impregnate them and then go through this process. Uh, so really when you look at the, 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 the industry of meat, you see that it is very, very inhumane. And most of us would not want to support it or be okay with it. We, we come up with arguments to justify it. And look, I just became vegan uh, recently. It was something that I'm experiencing and I'm still learning about. So I'm not here to tell you or talk down to you about this. But it's really something that I for years also knew that I had a feeling that if I looked at it closely enough, I would decide to become vegan or at least uh, have something in that direction as far as my life because I knew that this was not okay. And I think many people feel that way that it's not okay to raise and kill billions of animals when we don't need to, and to treat them the way that they are treated is not something that I think any of us are really okay with or would justify as something we would promote. Or to think if we were starting from scratch, would you create the world this way where we're killing billions of animals? And so the quote by Tolstoy about comparing slaughterhouses and battlefields, I think there are impacts to the ways that we do things that are not sometimes exactly the ones we think about. So if you think of, well, you know, one is killing people and in war and the other is killing animals for food. But if we look at beings as something that can just be killed, if it's to our benefit, then there is some kind of connection there. When you think that, well, if I want to overpower a group of people to have let's say, you know, access to this or whatever it might be, you know, 
the geopolitical issues leading to war, there's a connection between if I don't like these animals, I kill them, or if I want to eat them, I'll make more of them and treat them however I want to just use them. They become things to use. They become um, ends, um, you know, or it doesn't matter what they, uh, you know, they have no value other than what we get, we get from them. So to me, this was something quite powerful when I saw that. And, and I think it's something important to think about. And so part of, for me, becoming vegan was that would I want to contribute to the killing of animals and the treatment of animals in this way? And it was hard for me to, to say I would be okay with that. And, you know, I have had moments of missing eating certain foods, um, that I did enjoy, but overall it still feels like the right decision to make for me. And so I'm not here to, you know, punish people who are not vegan. Again, I've only been vegan for three months myself, but I would like to at least push or encourage people. You don't have to go full vegan because that does feel extreme or can be extreme for many people. I would hope many people move in that direction, but at least reducing the intake, you know, it's not all or nothing thing. And maybe later today, talking about the election, um, I'll talk about how most of the issues and the things we're trying to do or work on, they're very rarely things that are quick fixes and very rarely are they things that you yourself are going to change by your own actions. That's just not going to happen. So you can't say, well, if I become vegan, and he talks about this in the book, um, if I become vegan, will the meat industry still survive? That's true. My actions, I don't think by me stopping or anyone listening to the stopping, it's going to change the meat industry. But of course, small actions over time have an impact and especially small actions can grow into bigger actions when more people do something. And so it can have an impact over time. So yes, if you go to the supermarket uh, in the way he presented in the book, you know, the chickens that are there are already killed. You not purchasing it does not not kill that chicken or you didn't, they didn't kill that chicken specifically for you. But of course, if we then buy meat, it increases the demand for that product. In this case, the product are living beings. And then so they'll try to produce more of them. So it does have an impact. Um, so for me, that made a lot of sense that I wanted to not contribute to the killing of animals. And I do think not, you know, it's hard to say these types of things. It could even be very soon, even for some people it's now. I do think there will be a time where people will look back uh, at how we're consuming meat, the ways we raise and kill animals when we don't need to and be very perplexed by it. Just like, I don't want to say it's the same things like slavery or racism or different ways we've discriminated against people that we can look back now and think that was, doesn't make any sense. How could we do that? Uh, they'll look back uh, on that for, for us as well during this period. He actually makes the argument a few times, especially earlier when he was writing in the seventies, about saying that speciesism, so it's in a way the way we think that because we're humans and that there's other species of animals, we can treat them however we wish, um, that, you know, we can treat them, that's similar to things like racism or sexism. And I think there's an argument to be made there. I do feel at times it can make people who are going through the prejudice feel like you're undermining it by saying it's something comparable to animals. So it's not saying that it's the same or not saying uh, anything in that matter comparing any group to animals, of course, but I think you have to be careful about making those arguments. But he's saying that we treat other animals as if we are better than them or looking at them in some way. And I think there's something to that. So I found that um, interesting looking at this 
idea of speciesism. Sometimes we don't think of that, but the way we treat animals, I think, does reflect on us. And I think when we look at a society, there's lots of quotes like this, and I don't know exactly who said it first, and I won't even say it perfectly. But one of the ways I think you measure any society is the way it treats its most vulnerable individuals, children, um, the sick, the elderly, but also animals, I think, would be included in that. How we treat animals, any being that can't protect itself, I think does reflect on the humanity of that culture, of that society. So if we treat our sick with disrespect or our elderly with disrespect or we don't care about children or people who can't provide for themselves in whatever way, I think that reflects very poorly on us. And I think animals are also would fall under that. If we kill animals when we don't need to, that's something we really need to think about. So again, my push isn't here to tell everyone to become vegan um, starting tomorrow. The book like I said, it was very uh, relatively short, like about 80 pages, and a lot of the essays were even old. But he shares his own, you know, explorations about becoming vegan and vegetarian. Here's actually an interesting fact. He calls himself a flexible vegan. Early in the book, he says that he does eat uh, bivalves, things like oysters, mussels, clams, and scallops. He says, although they're animals, they don't have a central nervous system, so it's very unlikely that they can feel pain or feel anything. And then he also says he has free-range birds occasionally, uh, eggs, sorry, um, whenever the hens are allowed to roam around in a field and in a suburban garden. Anyway, it seemed a little, I was very surprised when I saw that, that he himself was not strictly vegan. He says, I'm a flexible vegan. I'm predominantly vegan, but I don't treat veganism like a religion. So I thought that was interesting uh, that he himself uh, doesn't exactly follow what some people would say. And I think it's important for people to keep that in mind. Even I think it's good what he says. It's not like a religion because I think people do judge one another who's more or less vegan and comparing each other to, to see who's who's better in that way. And I think that is actually against the point. But I hope there is a movement and anyone listening at least will consider. Don't think of it as black and white. And the reason why I say that is for some of you, if you think you want to do that, great. But I think when you think of it as black or white, some people then say, I'll forget it. I can't give up everything, so I won't do it at all. You know, people do like meatless Mondays or, you know, they make different types of commitments to reduce. I think that's a good start to reduce the animal products um, that you are using. And, you know, when you, you hear about it, he talks about different ways uh, animals are treated and killing also in animal experimentation, the way that the ways that we treat animals. I mean, these very sad stories of shocking these cats or giving them these um, types of medications that make them convulse to test them and see what happens. It's really sad to see the ways that we for a long time treated animals as if they, they didn't matter. And I think that's something for us to consider. So um, the book does a good job of presenting some of those the arguments about being vegan. And the main ones he even says himself uh, are animals, climate change, uh, and an individual's own health. The health, I'm not so sure um, about. You know, there's mixed. You'll hear some people say it's good you know, to still have some meat, some people say not, some say it's about the same. So I think it's a mix, but treatment of animals and climate change, it's pretty clear evidence on that. And then lastly, I'll end with, as I mentioned, at the end of the book, this part was written in 2020, was about COVID-19 and how um, really 
obviously there's lots of factors involved and when we look at causes or issues when we look at COVID-19. But um, of course, the eating of animals, if we if the whole world was vegan, we would not have COVID-19 because it seems likely it started from a wet market in Wuhan. And so um, not only that, he says the swine flu, which was in 2009, seems likely have started from a pig farm in North Carolina here in the United States. And so um, not only is it that it could, it's bad for the environment in general, but the ways that we breed animals to, to eat them is very, very bad as far as allowing different uh, viruses and things to mutate and to cross from one species to the other. Uh, and that can have big impacts like, like this global pa uh, pandemic we're experiencing now. So I thought that was an interesting new argument that I hadn't uh, heard of as much. I'd heard of people saying, you know, animal waste can get into our water and different things, and that definitely has an impact. But with COVID-19, we're seeing how uh, really eating animals can be very negative uh, in different ways as well. So interesting book, again, fairly short. Uh, um, it's called Why Vegan by Peter Singer, Eating Ethically. It was, I was happy to have read it, but again, it was fairly short. I was expecting to get more out of it as far as more new information or new arguments, um, but it was mostly what I had heard before, but again, still a good read for someone like me who's new to being vegan. Let's go to our first commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So... I was talking about the book Why Vegan by Peter Singer, the first segment. And, you know, today is November 2nd, and tomorrow here in the United States is Election Day. And, it, you know, really, I myself feel it, and people I've talked to, I was with a group last night on, on Zoom, everyone is feeling a little bit anxious um, right now. You know, I think this whole year, it's been interesting, since March, there's been a rise in the level of anxiety of really the world, I could say, let's say here in the United States. Um, and it's continued with the pandemic, with the shutdowns, you know, anxiety comes from uncertainty and we don't know exactly when this thing's going to end. How is it going to end? Of course, it's affected a lot of people already, both of course the, the virus itself killing or um, making people sick, but then also the economy, people's jobs in so many ways, and we don't know when things are going to change or how they are going to change. So that's definitely created a lot of anxiety. So I think if you, you know, if there's some way to, like a temperature, take the measure of the world, we have much more anxiety this year than we've had in most quote-unquote normal years. But then you add that, um, or you add to that the election, and it's even higher. You know, today I was... Um, driving uh, to my office, I still see clients in my office, and I saw, uh, or I was also driving to do tutoring, and I saw, you know, they were boarding up lots of places, including Rodeo Drive, the stores there. People uh, are, they don't know what to expect. We really don't know. Sometimes we don't know if we're overshooting and thinking there's going to be, uh, you know, a certain type of reaction, or, or sometimes we might be really preparing for what is actually the reality, but we don't know. And so, there are a lot of uncertainties, so if you feel that right now, that's fairly normal to feel uh, anxious, to feel un, you know a little bit uneasy. So first of all, many people care a lot about the results of the 
the election, especially the presidential election. That's mainly what I'm talking about. But of course, there are other uh, things on the ballot, including things like senators, uh, members of Congress, and other initiatives and propositions. But most people, I think the presidential race is the one that they're most anxious about. So many people care about the result, which is understandable uh, because the, the two candidates can seem so different. Although what we also know is that when we feel like everything is so different, sometimes it's not so different. But nonetheless, uh, the, the result as far as the actual tabulating of the votes, and that itself is creating anxiety because we see Lots of questioning about uh, what's going to be counted. How is it going to be counted? How long is it going to take for all the votes to get counted? So we might not get a result tomorrow night. Uh, Again, if you're listening to this later on, you might be listening saying, oh, I already know what happened, but uh, I'm here on Monday night, the night before the election, uh, talking about this. So I I don't know. So we don't know when we're going to have a result. And that itself creates more uncertainty and anxiety. And then also, we don't know if it's going to get challenged or questioned. That creates even more anxiety. So there's all of that. Then there's the there's the result of the election and election, and then the reaction to the election that people are also feeling anxious about. And I'll be honest, I am too. I don't know uh, what to expect from what what's going to happen. Are people going to be upset? Either way, whoever wins, will the other side um, become in some way, uh, aggressive or violent. I hope not. And even by saying it, I don't mean to make it like it's something that's okay. Uh, but from what we've seen this year, I think there are possibilities towards that, uh, happening. So there's the results and then there's the reaction. And so it's understandable to, to be anxious about that. We don't know what is going to happen. And so I feel that too. I feel that anxiety. I remember four years ago for the presidential election, it was quite surprising. People were not expecting the result that, that happened with Trump winning. And my clients that were coming in in the afternoon and the evening, you know, they kept wanting to check their phone. And I'll be honest, I was a little bit um, distracted myself because I was surprised and I also wanted to see what was going on. So tomorrow I've decided that I'll, you know, take the starting in the afternoon off because um, I, I don't want to go through that again for either me or my clients where they're going to be too distracted anyway to focus. So I learned something from that election that I'll I'll carry forward for this one and probably the ones in the future. But I know people are very anxious. And so just wanted to talk about it to say that it's okay. And it's in some ways expected to be anxious when the unexpected is happening and when we don't know what to expect. That's what creates anxiety when we uh, feel like we don't know what's going to happen. That uncertainty is what's going to create anxiety. So I hope people will connect with one another. We'll try to stay socially distanced, of course, but connect however you can with people because you might feel anxious. And I don't want to create uh, fear or panic, but I do think it might be a better idea to just be aware of where you are and not being out too much. Anyway, with the pandemic, you probably shouldn't be out much. But on top of that, I really don't know what to expect. I myself think I'll stay home more in the coming days because I don't know what to expect about what's going on. Now, we're all feeling anxious about this, and I can totally understand that. Something I alluded to in the last segment that I wanted to talk about now is that, uh, you know, we're feeling like things are going to change based on what happens tomorrow. And I think it does have, definitely has an impact. 
And, um, you know, maybe before I get into what I was going to say next, I hope everyone does vote. I've talked about this many times. I know it's very cliche and it's very cool and it's very uncontroversial to say go and vote and you should vote. Um, you know, really no one's against that. It's an easy thing to promote, but I think it is important to promote because of, uh, I, I think it's something we should take seriously as individual citizens. First of all, many of you might have experienced living in a country where you didn't get to vote or you weren't sure your vote was counted or mattered. Sad to think that some of that might be happening here. Um, so you know that it's not always a guarantee wherever you are that you get that privilege to vote. So it really is a right to vote, but also we can recognize it as a, a privilege and also recognize that it's our duty and our obligation. So I really hope everyone Hopefully you've already voted. I thankfully sent in my ballot about, I don't know, two or three weeks ago and was able to check online. You can do that in most states. Check online to make sure your vote was received if you mailed it in. So I was able to do that um, and hope you will too. Or if you have to go tomorrow, I hope you will do that as well. I think it's quite sad that in the United States, it's not a national holiday, the election, for multiple reasons, just to make it, uh, you know, something to celebrate. But also to make it easier for people to vote sometimes, especially this year with the lines being the way that they are, taking off you know, a few hours, you don't know how long it's going to be to go vote, uh, is not something that everyone can do. So it does discourage people from voting. And it's very sad, I think, that we don't make it easier for everyone who wants to vote to vote. It should be something that um, is not hard. It shouldn't mean going through and jumping through many hoops we would hope for a really essentially 100% participation rate, but we don't get close to that. Um, but I think we should make it easier for people to vote that are eligible. And of course, we make sure it's right and legal and all of that. But uh, to make it easier for people to vote, it shouldn't be something so so challenging and so difficult. So I hope everyone will vote. It's your responsibility. I think, um, you know, people will say, well, I don't want to vote because, you know, let's say in California, the presidential you know, it's it's pretty clear who's going to win. It's a blue state, so why should I vote uh, either side, really? You might think it's not going to make a difference. And, and I disagree with this. First of all, I'm not going to get into a political science debate about the electoral college and if we should change that. But nonetheless, I think it, it's important for each of us to vote. Again, it's a privilege and a right and a responsibility. And part of that responsibility, I think, is that every voice should be heard and every voice should be counted so we have an understanding of where the nation stands. There's a big difference if 51% of people agree with something opposed to 70%. So if everyone votes and we get a clearer picture of what the country thinks and feels and believes about candidates or different issues, I think that's really important in a democracy to have that. And I think it's unfortunate that people look at their vote. Almost to me, it's funny when they say, um, well, I don't want to vote because it doesn't matter and by matter, they mean my vote is not going to be so influential because it's already clear, which in another way means I only want to vote if I know my vote is essentially picking the candidate or picking the law, which means you're saying you want to be the monarch, the king or the queen that picks what happens. That's not how democracy works. You don't get to pick as far as having complete control over everything. You just get to make your voice, which is, let's say there's 100 million people your voice is one one hundred millionth, but your voice deserves to be heard and is worth everyone else's voice as well. So um, I, I hope people will um, 
make sure they vote. It's not too late. If you haven't, you can go tomorrow, look up all the different ways that you, you can make sure your vote is, is counted. And I hope, you know, it's been sad to see how polarized we've become. Even when I look at my social media, if I go on my Facebook today, uh, you know, I'll see people from both sides and they will, uh, you know, be saying the other side is so bad and stupid and crazy and immoral. And again, you'll hear it from both sides. So you'll hear everyone saying that the other side is wrong and stupid. And, and it's the furthest apart I feel like we've been in my lifetime. And I know people will say that a lot, that people, things are polarized, but you can see that happening. And unfortunately, I think the pandemic has made it even more. Uh, and of course, social media, we know, has been a big contributor to the polarization of people's views. That if you keep seeing the same news from the same perspective over and over again, then of course, you're going to see things a certain way. But if you keep seeing news from the other side, you're going to, of course, see things that type of way. And we know the way that social media works is they give you things they think you want to see. So if you look, you only have to look for it. They give you news that's going to confirm what you already believe or what you already think, believe, feel. And of course, that's going to make you think what you believe is even more strong. Look at all this evidence supporting my side. So we really have to be aware of this. And it's, uh, you know, easy to think it's everyone else that's seeing things in a biased way. But we have to acknowledge, first of all, our own biases. And also that, are we really looking for all the information? I know even myself, when I'm looking at different social issues, I have my biases that's going to affect what I look at, what I look for. Um, if I agree with something, if I disagree with something, even if it's both research, I'm going to approach it very differently based on what uh, you know, what it's saying and what side it's on as far as what I believe. So we have to be willing to take the uncomfortable step, and I've done it sometimes, of reading things, watching videos, whatever it might be, media from the other side, whatever quote-unquote side you are on. Even if you don't like it, even if you uh, disagree with it, even if it makes you feel angry or uncomfortable, I think it's very, very important that all of us look at what's happening on the other side, whatever it is, have conversations with people on the other side, not debates. Don't try to convince them, but you don't have to agree, but you can try to understand. And there's a big distinction. Uh, unfortunately, when we have conversations about politics, people think I have to prove them wrong and show how right I am. And this is how both people go into the conversation. Of course, it's going to turn ugly and turn into a battle and a war because you're just trying to win, defeat your opponent. Even you see this in the language of videos that are posted online, you know, so-and-so eviscerates uh, liberals, so-and-so demolishes or kills, destroys someone from the other side, you know, whatever it is. And that's the way we think of these debates when really uh, that's not the case. It's just that people have slightly different views or opinions on things. And yes, you might see someone who uh, does a good job debating someone from the other side. It doesn't mean they destroyed them. And it doesn't even mean their ideas destroyed the other person's ideas. Maybe the person was just a better debater than the person on the other side. It doesn't necessarily mean uh, that the ideas are superior, but we like to get that feeling. Uh, we like to think that our side is superior. We like to think that the things we believe are superior and so much better but we have to be open and have that humility that we don't know everything. No one does. 
and we are all wrong sometimes and no team has all the answers especially when we look at either political side they're going to have all these biases and things that come with it and so if we think we know what's right we're almost definitely going to be wrong because there's much more gray area than there is a black and white right and wrong when it comes to political issues and when you think of people who are on the other side as so evil and bad think about why you might be doing that and what it's doing for you to think of them as so evil usually we do that to also make ourselves well they're so evil because i'm so good it makes me feel like i am an angel if they're evil i am smart if they are stupid i am moral if they are immoral and so we have to be very cautious of not sliding into these very easy positions of trying to pick sides and then make sure our side wins and the other side loses at any costs and really the cost is our own humanity let's go into our last commercial break we'll be right back welcome back so in the previous segment i was talking about the election and during the commercial break someone asked about how do we overcome election anxiety and so i'll touch on that a little bit now and then uh, end on a different topic but you know I've, if you listen to my show, you know I'm very big on asking people and recommending and encouraging people to get close and in touch with their feelings. I think feelings are a source of information. You know, a lot of times people think good feelings, good. The ones that don't feel good are bad and get rid of them. But no, the bad feelings are also giving you information. The good feelings might say, oh, I really enjoy hugging my friend or, uh, you know, having this conversation or listening to this song and I feel good. Great. Uh, a bad feeling is also telling you something. I feel sad when something happened. Uh, that could be telling you something. I feel angry right now. Don't just get rid of the anger. Try to understand the anger first and get in touch with it. So, and anxiety is the same thing. If you can, sometimes you don't always know, especially with anxiety, it might feel like a, uh, a vague threat. But let's say if you're nervous about something or worried about something, try to understand it first. And now, when we look at our feelings as information, we want to see what can I do with that information. So if I'm sad, let me see if I can do anything about it. Sometimes maybe, you know, I can reach out to that person who I'm, who hurt me or whatever it might be, or talk to someone, something maybe can be done. Or I realize I get sad every time I spend time with this person. Maybe I won't spend as much time with them. Uh, or if I'm angry, maybe I can express that anger. I'll try to process it, think about it, so I express it in a way that I feel good about, but I want to use that information. And now anxiety or worrying, sometimes it could be good because we can do something about what we're worried about. I'm worried about my exam tomorrow. Okay, well, if I can, let me try to calm myself and now study for the exam. That will actually help reduce my anxiety as I feel more prepared. And really it's telling me, my anxiety is telling me I'm worried about the exam tomorrow that's that can be good if you know that sounds ideal sometimes it might be hard the anxiety might be so much you can't take care of the thing that you're getting worried about but that can be good right so that's why anxiety actually has some benefit you know we can think of our ancestors storing food because they know the winter is coming a little bit of anxiety might have helped them or if you don't worry about the tests that i just mentioned have a little anxiety you won't really feel the pressure to study for something that's far away that isn't you know, right now. So anxiety can be good in those ways. However, sometimes we're anxious about something that we can't control. You know, voting was one way, of course, you can make an impact in the election. You can, if you want to share things on social media, people were doing 
phone banking, calling people to encourage them to vote. So there's some things you could do, but let's say, you know, tomorrow there's not, there's nothing you can do. It's out of your hands. The results of the election. It's like if you got an MRI or an X-ray and you're just waiting for the results, you can't do anything about it anymore. And in those cases, when you can't do anything about it, I think it's good first to understand your anxiety. You get in touch with it. What am I worried about? What am I feeling? But then actually something that I usually would not recommend, but in this case I would, is that distracting yourself is good, is okay. When you can't do anything about the thing you're worried about, um, you can distract yourself in some way, whatever feels comfortable for you. And that's quite all right because you can't do anything about it. So I would recommend if you're feeling very anxious about the results, I would say don't start checking, especially tomorrow, early in the day. Because, look, if you turn on CNN, Fox News, or whatever news source you like, they have to fill the time. So they're going to start telling you, in this, this, you know, in this district, 200 people voted this way, 300 people that way, you know, 50 just came in, and they're going to give you all this up to the second types of, you know, information. And it feels like you're getting more information, but you're really not because you're getting such small pieces of the puzzle that are sometimes presented in a big way because, again, they have to fill the time, make it seem uh, exciting and interesting, that it, there really isn't much there. So I would highly suggest, especially if you're feeling anxious, don't watch the early results as they're coming in. If you can distract yourself doing something else, great, do that. You know, keep yourself busy and occupied. Now, if you want to check later on in the day, sure, but I wouldn't get obsessed with checking them uh, every minute, every second. So in this case, and in cases where you can't do anything about your worry, I would say first try to understand your worry. Why am I so worried? So even in this case, what am I worried about if, you know, this person wins or that person wins? What am I worried about? What are the feelings there? I think people, of course, are worried about different policies and things like that. But there's also a feeling we have of winning and losing that's going to happen in this kind of an election where you want your person to win because somehow you feel like, you know, it's like any kind of uh, battle. You want to win and you feel good when you win and you feel bad when you lose. So I think that's also there. So you can ask yourself, what am I worried about? Get a handle of that. And then once you do, you don't have to worry about it. Tonight, you don't need to do anything. Yes, you can go online and a thousand different people can give you projections. And someone in the commercial break very innocently asked me to predict who I think will win. So I understand people doing this. It reminds me of sports. I, I love watching sports. And when you watch them, you know, there's always people going to tell you what's going to happen in tomorrow's game or next week's game, depending on how big the game is. And people like to read it because we have this anxiety we sometimes like to read, even I've noticed that you want to read what people are going to say because you think it gives you certainty to hear that this quote-unquote expert is going to tell you what's going to happen. But very often they don't know. They're saying something with some, sometimes even more confidence, usually more confidence than they should have, um, but they don't really know. And so I think I wouldn't get too bogged down in looking at too much stuff tonight if you have a lot of anxiety. If you have no other choice and you feel like you can't stop yourself, okay, but I would recommend not doing that. And even tomorrow, I would say, wait till you start checking all the early results coming in. I know people that are so anxious, they're going to check from the first second, but you have to just be aware that you think you're getting information, but really you're not. 
okay, the first 10,000 votes have come in this way. It, it might be meaningful, but it might not because maybe those first 10,000 are from this district that's more left-leaning or right-leaning or they were mail-in versus this. And there's, you know, so many different things. So I would just say, you know, take some time because it takes time for results to trickle in. And that's actually what I wanted to talk about to end the program tonight is that everyone is very anxious about this election. I, I mentioned I am too, but, you know, change as, as I was saying, the election results, they come in slowly, progress and change happen slowly too, most of the time. And so it's nice to think that based on the election tomorrow, everything is going to change in America and things will be whatever it is. You want it to stay the same with the president and he's going to make it better or you want a new president, uh, whatever that might be, just to be prepared that whatever it is we're working on, it's going to take a long time to make progress. But we have to keep working and keep fighting, keep fighting for the things that you want to make uh, better. You know, I was talking about being vegan. Yeah, one person going vegan is not going to change the meat industry, is not going to change the environment, but uh, each of us or many of us making an impact can over time. And so I hope people will recognize that whatever happens tomorrow, it is big. I'm not going to minimize it, that it's nothing. It is big. But that hopefully there are things you want to work on in this world or you want to see changed in this world for the better. And whatever happens tomorrow, it probably won't change that very much. And then it's going to be up to you to keep working towards whatever that is. If you want to help a certain group of people, you're going to have to keep doing that work. Tomorrow won't change all of that. If you want to reduce some kind of discrimination or prejudice, that's still going to be on you to keep working towards that. Tomorrow won't change any of that. Um, it might have an impact on certain things, but whatever it is you want to see change in this world, be ready to keep working on it and working towards it. The system is a certain way that uh, even whoever is elected, a lot of things are going to stay the same. If you think there's a lot of corruption in the government, yes, maybe some things will change depending on what happens, but a lot of it will, will still be there. A lot of the issues that we have will still be there. And so I'm hopeful for a lot of things in this world. And I've said this a few times and I'll say it again. I think the coronavirus has been very sad and it's been a dark year. You've seen all the memes and all the people talking about 2020 and how it's been. One or one of a few things that I hope people have learned is that we can come together to even fight an invisible enemy, in this case, the virus, even when sometimes it might not affect you so directly. So a lot of people are not vulnerable. Maybe they can get it, but they're less likely to get seriously ill and to die. But I saw many people would make sacrifices or at least be aware of making sacrifices in order to help other people that might not be them. And I think that is good. And we also saw that we can take, we can pause things. You know, we think we can't stop, you know, going to the movies and sports and things and a whole variety of other things that were really put on pause, at least for a few months, things are coming back in different ways in different places, but we were able to stop things. So even when I'm saying, you know, today about being vegan, and that's not my main argument in this part of the, the, the program, but you know, when we think we can't do it or, oh, every, you know, the world is a certain way, we can see that things can change, that when we face a challenge big enough or when something seems important enough, the world does make changes that seem bigger than you think. If, you know, a year ago people said, oh, do you, can you believe that stores will be closed for months? You'd say, no way. 
in America or in around the world. They're going to close stores for months because of some virus. Yeah, right. People care too much about, you know, getting things and too much about the economy and capitalism. But that happened. And so I got some hope from that, that people are willing to make sacrifices, that people are willing to come together to help others, that people will make sacrifices that might not even affect them or anyone in their family. Because I really think the only way we're going to cure the ills and the viruses of society, and to me, one of the biggest ones is inequality and how you know, there are people who have so much, too much, more than they need. And then there's people still dying from not having enough. Yes, we've made a lot of progress in that. Global pro- poverty has been reduced, uh, you know, in the, in the recent decades, which is wonderful. But still, we have people who are dying from not having enough. And we have people who have so much. And so I hope the only way I think if we try to force taxation, we're not going to get there. People's hearts have to change as well. And I'm hopeful that people will recognize that we can do more to help others, that people can make sacrifices that help other people, and that the coronavirus has taught us so many things. One of them is that we can make changes that we thought we weren't going to make or we didn't think we would make. And a lot of things that we thought we had to do that we couldn't live without, we did live without them. We were okay without things, even things that you know I've talked before about Um, sports and for months there wasn't sports or certain types of entertainment or seeing your friends. We miss those things and I'm not saying we shouldn't have those things back, but I do think it made us become aware of what's possible that we can make these kinds of changes. So let's see what happens tomorrow. I hope that you voted and made your voice heard, but I also hope that your voice going forward will be one of unity rather than one of disunity. So your voice was heard at the ballot box. I hope it was. But I hope your voice will also be heard that you won't be adding to the fuel, even if it is posting things uh, online, on, you know, on Facebook and Instagram, and the way you post things. Yes, you can try to sound very opinionated and, and smart and strong, and I'm not against having opinions, but be aware of when you talk down to certain people and call people you know, whatever words that you might use to put them down. And so in these next few days, you can't control everyone, but as always, we can control ourselves. And I hope that anyone listening will consider that they can be more a voice of unity, of reducing chaos, of reducing violence, rather than adding to the disunity, adding to the anger that we have for one another, because we all have that type of power and control. So be safe. And another thing I I think the virus has taught us is the value of things. And one of the things we realize values more than anything is being with our families. And right now I see one of my friends, Basim, who's uh, on, on the Instagram and he, you know, just had a, he had a baby during the pandemic. And so I haven't been able to see the baby in person, but I've seen him spending time and I'm sure he's enjoying being with his son, Dara, and also Remy now and getting to be with them. So I, I think it's made us recognize the value of certain things and the limited value of certain things that we used to value at the material things we thought we can't live without. So uh, best wishes to everyone. And I also wish the best for the whole country as a whole here in the United States. And of course, the whole world will see what happens. And I look forward to being with you. The world will go on. Uh, I'll be with you on Wednesday. That brings us to the end of tonight's show. Um, I always, always want to thank Amir, who's here in the studio with me. And again, the book of the week for this week is 10% Happier by Dan Harris. Look forward to reading that 
uh, and sharing it with you uh, next week's show. Hopefully, we'll all be 10% happier by next Monday. Um, that brings us to the end of tonight's show. I think Amir's having some issues getting things started. So let me just, uh, again, wish everyone a good night. Be safe out there. Uh, take care of your families. And uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Our work is not going to be over with tomorrow. We're just going to be getting started with better. Whatever it is we're trying to do to make this world a better place. Amir John, are we ready? All right. Uh, you've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Lakwi. Have a wonderful night. Mm-hmm.